Hi, welcome back. This is Holly Beth, the host of WTF ABA podcast. I'm glad to have with me today Iqbal Acha. Super stoked to dive in and talk with him about the importance of educating the community about the roles that we have open, how we get creative in networking and supporting each other in TA. And then also, what does accountability look like in retention? Um, that's something, you know, definitely in ABA, but in healthcare that that we're facing um, is a retention problem. Um, and so what do we do? How do we own that? What metrics are important? What does accountability look like for our leadership team? And then also um, our talent, you know, advisors as well. So super stoked to jump in. It was a great conversation and I hope that you enjoy it. Iqbal Atcha. Welcome to the WTF ABA pod. Hey, thanks for having me, Holly Beth. I'm excited to be here today. Of course. Let me explain why I, I said your name in such an exciting way. Um, we were just talking off air before we get started. And, um, and I asked, just want to make sure I'm saying the name right. And then tell the listeners what you told me because I just, I love it. Sure. So it's a unique name, right? Most people don't walk around with the name Iqbal and there's usually a need for people to add a U after a Q and I don't have that. So I always like to let people know like, hey, my first name is just like the game that we all played when we were kids uh, called Kickball, right? You just take away the first K and you get Iqbal. And my last name is just as easy. It's Atcha, like coming at you, looking at you, right at you. And so the next time you see uh, my name, you should have this vision of a red ball rolling to you and you're probably like seven years old and you just kick it as hard as you can. So Iqbal and I um, met, uh, gosh, I want to say it was over the summer and I've been a, a follower of his on LinkedIn and he inspires me a lot. Super creative guy. And when he said that, just because I, I feel like marketing runs through his blood and it's so interesting because it was almost forecasting your life. <laughs> you know, you have like the perfect name that's just like, will stick in your head forever now. Um, Iqbal at you. So um, I know I'm not the only one that's jealous out there. But it's a <laughs> wow. Where were you when I needed you in my preteens, right? Like when I would walk around right. going, nobody has this name. Why did I, why did mom and dad give me this name? I could have used that kind of uh, hype girl back then. Yeah. Hey, call me up. I'll be anybody's hype girl. Well, I appreciate you, you know, coming on here. Um, I know you have your own pod. We'll get in and I want to talk about that as well, but I really do see you as a thought leader and, um, you know, you've dedicated a lot of your career and, and I'd like for you to catch up the listeners on what your journey was in your career, but a lot of it really to healthcare and recruiting. Um, and I love to hear really what motivated that focus for you. You know, for the listeners today, like they may be, they may have had an opportunity to, to look at my LinkedIn profile or, or hear an intro. So I'm a pharmacist by trade. Uh, and, you know, most of the time when you think of a pharmacist, you instantly go back to either Grace Under Fire, if you're old enough to remember that show, um, or Seinfeld, and you always just think the pharmacist that's, you know, three feet taller than everybody else, and why is that there? Uh, but most pharmacists really are not very, or we're not very um, communicative. Like They didn't really, you know, express a lot of emotion based on the old stereotypes of a pharmacist. Uh, that is just not my DNA, and <laughs> Holly Beth, you know that. So. Um, Let's kind of start a little bit from the trajectory point of how things shifted away from your standard pharmacist to moving into healthcare recruitment. Um, I had, you know, worked in a variety of different areas and really started several businesses in the past uh, that sort of uh, 
I want to say pigeonholed me, but like forced me to be more interactive and had me learn how to develop relationships, understand other people's pain points and what they were striving for. And then working as a relationship builder to either offer those services or connect them to others that had that. And, you know, I just kind of felt that that was part of my DNA. It wasn't something that I had to go out and learn, uh, but it was just, it felt intuitive. It felt right. Um, fast forward a lot of the other things that we'll talk about momentarily, but, you know, I started, I went through a, um, a, a change in my personal life. I went through a divorce uh, and that's when I had to sell all of my businesses. And I came to work for another company as a pharmacist. And in that time frame, their HR team found me. They had researched my past uh, experiences and my past accolades. And they were like, we would like for you to come help us, help us recruit pharmacists, optometrists, and then later on nurses and uh, medical assistants. And I was like, sure, why not? Uh, you know, it, and it wasn't something like, you know, premeditated that uh, this is where I'm going to go. You know, opportunities fall into people's laps all the time. Uh, but there is always that moment where you have to ask, you know, why am I doing this? What's it for? And the reason why I'm saying all that is because you asked me, like, what is it that brought me to this and has continued me in this space? And, and the reality of it is, is that when I was faced with the opportunity to say yes or no, I had to think, if I stay, if I say no, I'm just going to continue working in this space where I will have a very limited impact on the patients that come to this pharmacy. Maybe at best, like 200 people that I can develop a relationship with, impact and influence the way that they look at their own health um, and identify products and therapies that will be good for them. But if I say yes, I can find other people that share the same qualities, the same passions, the same drive to help improve healthcare, and I can help them be better me or better others uh, and do the same thing. Uh, and so that was the drive there. Now, why do I stay in healthcare recruitment? Um, and I think that this is a, and a probably an appropriate question, right? Because there's been so much change, uh, you know, leading up to the pandemic, during the pandemic. I mean, we, I'm pretty sure your listeners all have as much whiplash as I do. Uh, when you think about, hey, oh well, my God, uh, you know, recruiters are being cut left and right. Sorcerers, there's no need for them. And then all of a sudden, you know, the tide turns and you're like, we need to hire recruiters and, you know, we need to upscale and reorg. I think what's fascinating is, is that the tools and the technology have expanded to such an extent that if you are able to, first and foremost, remain committed to your mission, and realize that there is a world of uh, patients and providers that need expert matchmakers. Uh, and you can leverage these tools and technology with your own skill sets, you'll be successful, but more importantly, you will make a difference. And the other thing is, you know, the reason why I stay in this is because the tactics and the, the ways that I've you know, worked as a healthcare recruiter in the past, uh, are not the same today. I cannot rely on what I did five, 10 years ago and think all I need to do is just, you know, follow this formula and guess what? I'm just going to have uh, hires left and right falling out of the sky. It just doesn't work. And that's the beautiful part about it is because I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly figuring out, wait a minute, that's, I tried this in like 2010 and it was great. And if I try to emulate it in 2023, guess what? Uh, I will have lost money, time and, and, and sweat and energy. So I'm learning from others and I'm, you know, helping to share that message because that's why it's, it's, it's a never ending uh, process for me. And I love it. There's so much in there that I want to unpack. 
Um, first, I want to talk about your your start in as a pharmacist and just how that translates, I think, um, and resonates with me as somebody who started as a therapist um, working with children with autism as an ABA therapist and then going and moving into training and then moving into recruiting. And the piece, there's two things that you said that really resonated. One, which was there is always that moment in time where you're at a crossroad and you have to ask yourself, what if I said yes? And I think that that, that you sharing that is something that I want to highlight here because um, oftentimes when we're job seeking, we just want somebody else to say yes, right? Like that's what we're focused on is that somebody's going to say yes to me. Um, and we're, we're really looking at it from that standpoint, but taking it a step back and say, what if I say yes? Um, not only looking at it from a career standpoint and how you're going to affect people, that's all really important and definitely do that. But then also, um, where do I want to say yes? Um, so I love that insightful uh, nugget. And I, I wanted to pull that out and, and talk about that because I think it's so important because making that switch too, what's interesting is how you looked at it. Um, I'm just thinking about a pharmacist. And by the way, when you said pharmacist, I don't know why I can't get it on my head. But when you said pharmacist, I was thinking of... Um, it's a wonderful life. And so I don't know why, but you know, it's awful, right? Anyway, just thinking about a pharmacist in general and the important role that you have as a pharmacist, as somebody who is overlooking things that a doctor is saying that they want to prescribe to the patient, then thinking about the fact that you have to make sure that the person receiving that is set up for success, that they know what to expect and everything like that. And it's interesting to me because I feel like there's a parallel there. Um, for you as being that that person who's that in-between to make sure that um, everybody's on the same page. We're looking at this. Nothing was missed. Um, and so I, I love that you also said that you're able to pinpoint how to help people. And I know that you've been a consultant in the past. Um, so everything that you've done really seems to, even though it's that accidental recruiter and there's all these books out there, right? The accidental, you know, instructional designer or whatever they, they're, they live out there. So if you're an accidental like us, go ahead and look that up. So my question I, you know, for you is that, do you feel like the tools in your learning that has happened and you mentioned the pandemic and your whiplash, do you feel like you've discovered anything new since the pandemic, um, to wise or your approach that you think would be, you know, really helpful for all the recruiters out there that are, are struggling in the past. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to start like from like in the last six months. Uh, it's probably not, I should even just start in the last six days. Uh, the number of AI tools and the number of AI platforms out there that are open, avail open and available for people to play with and mess around with is ridiculous. Uh, Synthesio.io, obviously OpenAI and ChatGPT are the things that dominate headlines, right? But I mean, if you're not sure where to start or if you're like, you know, looking at this and thinking, okay, everything is happening so fast, everything is so quick, just go to TikTok. Like just start there and not only research um, op uh, tools and technology that's available for other recruiters and see what they're doing, but, you know, dabble in it. Uh, and I think that that's probably where I would say, like, when I started this journey and, you know, there's probably like multiple iter iterations of, of my growth and my career over the last five years, um, you know, 
having worked for a Fortune 1 company, having worked for a Fortune 30 company, starting my own company again, uh, and then working for, you know, a, a premier software as a SaaS company, a SaaS company, like it just constantly evolves, right? But I think from a tools perspective, um, and I, I'm just finding myself attracted to most AI platforms, but I'm also learning how to use social media in a more concerted and strategic way. You can be a consumer all you want. You can sit down and spend hours, days, weeks, uninterrupted uh, watching videos on YouTube and, and TikTok and Instagram. But in reality, like you want to just like take what's being taught and then apply it. Um, and so, you know, what I find really fascinating is a lot of these tools are, are very basic to use. TikTok, if you haven't tried it, like it, it's literally going to do it for you. Uh, as well as a lot of these AI platforms. So let me just pause there for a moment because I think that that's what you're looking for is like, you know, how how have I been able to leverage that? Like I, I took a long circuitous route, right? Like I knew Zoom existed before the pandemic because that's what we used to use at work. Uh, and then I realized, oh, okay, somebody talked to me about Audacity, which is like this free open uh, platform to do audio uh, editing. And I was like, okay, so I can merge these two. Uh, and I'm still a little old school. So like once I've, you know, it's like riding a bike, right? Once you've done it, like you're just going to do it over and over again. I know that there are tools out there that are more advanced, more faster. Uh, so I invest a little bit more time, but it's kind of like that, you know, you, when you love something, you put the, the love into the baking, but this is the love into the, the, the podcast and, and some of the other things that I'm working on. So I think that that's probably where like, you just have to get comfortable playing with a tool or two uh, and then make it your own. You don't know if you don't try, you know, and you'll figure out what works for you. you for me, you, you use baking, you know, I'm not a great baker, but I'm an excellent cook. So finding, you know, something that works for you and just keep going. If a TikTok's not your thing, which I have tried, I'm not going to lie, Iqbal, um, I have to purposely turn it off because I find my ideas are just coming and coming and coming whenever I watch TikTok. It's such an inspiration sometimes. And I know that that sounds so, so strange to say, but I agree with you there. Um, oh no. I mean, I, I'm the same boat, right? Like, yeah, I'll see something and I'll be like, oh my God. So I'll, I'll start screenshotting things. Like if I see like a list of all of these different platforms, I'm like, I'm not going to remember this. So I'll screenshot it. I'll save it or I'll send myself some links, but you're right. I mean, you can go down a rabbit hole. Yes. Just kind of set the boundaries. I have 6,000 screenshots of all ideas that I've been thinking. <laughs> I swear I have more screenshots of ideas than I do my children and my dogs and my husband. <laughs> so I have a question for you and I, and you know, thinking about your experience, um, there are some AI that, you know, I've tried and I'm wondering if you've tried as well that I think for me gives false information. So, and, and maybe I'm doing it wrong. So I'd love, I would love to hear what you, what you think, but there's some tools out there called WeConnect and different AI tools that manage your LinkedIn, um, where you're managing it right? But it's automating something. So it's still a human behind it. However, um, in my mind, I, you know, I've tried it twice and both times I've lasted a week. So maybe it's like when you're watching a new episode or a new show and you just have to get past the first three. Um, but it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't feel right to me because I wonder, because it does um, generate you know, some, some likes and it changes with the algorithm and it plays around with that. I feel like I'm not getting an accurate portrayal of what my, you know, audience is looking for. So I always default back to be like, I, I'd rather not 
have a larger following or whatever it is that, you know, the target is of using a tool like that. I'd rather be really genuine, maybe behind in some of my messaging, but authentically connecting with people. What, what has your experience been? Yeah. So I, you know, back in the day, there was a later uh, as a software that would allow you to be able to connect and buffer. Uh, I used to use those a lot. And I, I think Hootsuite has also changed quite a bit. That was probably the first one that I was using. And I did notice like when I would use these and like, you know, pre-populate my, my post to go out, um, like it would, but yeah, traction was pretty slow. Impressions were smaller uh, and the likes were very limited. And then I did some research and I, especially for LinkedIn, like LinkedIn uh, is very aware when a third party service is being used uh, and it downplays that. So the algorithms change like regularly. And I would probably say there was a time when it was an annual algorithm change and then it became biannual. And now it's almost like every two to three months, they're like tweaking it and revise, they're revising it. So, um, you know, I've, I've done enough research and talked to enough LinkedIn experts to be able to recognize like, hey, when they're doing it, there's, there's really two things. One is ethical, you know, one makes sense, which is, you know what, it, they, uh, LinkedIn rewards organic posts. Like you go to their platform, you pop it in, and now that they've added this schedule for later service, uh, that's great, fantastic. I'm leveraging that and, and not having to freak out at 10 o'clock in between meetings and go, oh, I, I gotta get this out here. Uh, so I do agree that like using a third party, you know, uh, you know, uh, scheduler is is probably going to hurt you in that way. But I've also heard and definitely recognize one thing, and that is a lot of LinkedIn influencers or people that were trying to leverage LinkedIn for their you know, organic growth uh, used engagement pods. Uh, and if you're not familiar with what an engagement pod is, right, they will have five, 10 friends that they will say, look, the minute I post something, like it, comment it, and share it, right? And, and everybody agrees to do the same. Uh, so that tricked the algorithm. Now, now all of a sudden, like a year and a half, two years later, people are coming out and you know, doing what most CEOs are doing and then saying, hey, I'm taking full responsibility to that. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I'm not going to do it anymore. Uh, what I find funny is, is that, you know, it's just not, you know, it's part of your DNA, right? And it's very much your character. And I, and I it's just not me. Um, so I would mm -hmm. say like over the course of time, uh, I have built a following not based on, you know, hey, how much am I, you know, how much are people seeing what I'm talking about? Because I realized that people do see it. They just don't see it in the first hour. Uh, they will see it literally three days later when they themselves have found a moment to break away from either dispensing a pill um, or, you know, uh, seeing patients um, or, you know, having therapeutic sessions with their patients and going, look, I just need a break. And, and these are like occasional LinkedIn users, but they still derive a lot of value. Um, and so I've learned over the course of time, I don't really stop to look and say, hey, which posts are trending well and, and gaining the most recognition. Uh, and so I'm going to do more of that because again, even that is a finite period of time. I feel like, you know, I'm, you know, I do have a structure. I am very clear about that. And most people that follow me will recognize like there's like a cadence that Iqbal follows, like every Monday you're starting off the week. It doesn't matter how much coffee you have in your system. You still need motivation. So I'll always give out some motivation on a Monday. On Tuesday and Wednesday, I will find an article either dedicated to healthcare or healthcare recruitment. Uh, and then Thursday, I usually ask a question to the audience. I'll throw out a poll. And by the way, mad respect to your polls. I see that you've been leveraging that. So I love the fact that you do that. Uh, and then Friday, you know, it's usually a, a post to promote either my podcast or something that I will feel like is kind of genuine happening in my professional or personal life.
Um, and that seems to, you know, continue the trend. And that's, that's my cadence. Like, literally, that's it. So I have a two-part question for you. Yeah, sure. Um, switching gears from, from uh, talking about tools to talking about just healthcare recruitment. Um, so what barriers do you think are facing the, the healthcare recruitment right now and how recruitment has an influence on retention um, which obviously is a, a problem across healthcare. Sure. Uh, I probably should ask Holly Beth, how much time do we have? Because this would be like, you know, <laughs> this could be like an entire seminar. I mean, this not just a seminar, man. This could be like a three-day conference we could have on this topic alone. I am having a three-day conference. Let's on that. talk about it. Tell um, us more. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, no, August 18th or the 20th, Iqbal is invited. He will be there. So if you want to test the theory on whether or not he is real or not, we can poke him and um, see what's going on. But no, he, he'll he be there. Um, but there's it's really focusing on ABA, um, Applied Behavior Analysis, which is uh, a sector of healthcare um, when it's applied to therapy. Um, and so it is talking about it intentionally in that space. But really, this is this is a topic of conversation that, yeah, we could talk about for three days and hopefully you'll join, you know, like I said, uh, that conversation. Um, but yeah, how about I set a timer for you? Do you do uh, a timer? Yeah, <laughs> why don't we do that? So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to probably start with the lowest hanging fruit uh, in my mind. And to me, like when I think about one of the biggest barriers that exist today is the lack of investment in talent pipelines. Um, and, you know, it's it's not necessarily, this is a multifactorial problem, right? I know that there's lots of recruitment organizations and TA teams that have been going to campuses and professional events and, you know, trying to work with their marketing and IT, you know, departments to, to really help uh, attract the, the right talent, right? But there's only so much that you can do when you don't have grammar schools and high schools and community colleges preaching the, you know, preaching the same message. Right. So you have been watching this group of, uh, you know, in, in our case, like healthcare professionals, right? Like the, the numbers just consistently dwindle. Um, and it's because the pipelines are not being, you know, developed at a younger age. So, you know, everyone's on Instagram or TikTok, right? And they're watching all of these opportunities that are being presented to them as both lucrative and rewarding. And it's not healthcare. Healthcare is you're going to be cleaning bedpans. You're going to be getting yelled at by patients. You're going to be dealing with insurance. You're going to be, you know, all of these negative things. And it's like, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to pursue a degree uh, that is going to, you know, it's in, in, you know, at the end of the day, cause me more pain and more hurt when I can, you know, look at these glamorous other opportunities and, and do all those things. So over the last five, 10, five, seven, 10 years, um, the investment at a younger age group has been lost. So what we see today is recruiters, sourcers, talent acquisition leaders, we're all fighting over the same few you know, pieces of pie that are still left in the tin. Uh, and that's a problem because, yeah, all you're doing is essentially like, you know, fighting over it and you're, you're bringing in great opportunities, benefits, you know, compensation. Uh, and that's causing some great conversation, by the way. But it's not solving the real problem. The real problem is there's nobody that's going to come behind and replace both older workers that are ready to retire or have retired, those that have institutional knowledge, those that are looking to do you know career pivots. Um, there's nobody there. 
So I think that that's one of the biggest uh, hurdles is what we're facing now is where are the people coming from? Now, uh, you know, if, if I could, uh, I would love to be able to help hospitals, post-acute organizations. I would love to help healthcare as a whole partner with the boards of nursing, pharmacy, you know, medicine, all the healthcare boards and says, listen, we're going to design a healthcare training program that is going to meet your requirements and that is going to meet the standards and we'll still go through the testing process, but it will be an accelerated program because whoever, and again, I'm not pointing fingers and I'm not saying that the, you know, so-and-so is to blame, but there is a cap in terms of the number of schools that are being created uh, or the number of applications, the number of acceptances into these professional schools that is causing a major headache, right? So I think that that is something that hopefully if someone's, you know, in a decision-making position that's listening to this podcast today is saying, you know what, let's let let's have Holly, Beth, and Iqbal come in and we'll talk to them because we need to fix this problem. So that's that's number one. The talent pool has shrunk to such a degree that there is very few people to fight over now and in the near future. Number two. There are so many opportunities from a political, I should say more like a governmental regulatory perspective that can be modified, changed, uh, and where Congress can act to be able to help ease this workforce shortage that we're experiencing today. Um, a recent poll, a recent uh, you know announcement in the news was about how the American Medical Association is now working with Congress to talk about uh, relaxing some of the requirements for visa holders uh, that are here and working in clinically impoverished areas, right? Like these are like Biloxi, Mississippi, or like southern parts of the United States where there is a drought of healthcare professionals. Uh, and saying, look, you're already here. Let's just extend your visa, your H-1B, so that you can continue to serve in these spaces, right? There are also a lack of uh, fund federal funding for a lot of these schools and a lot of training programs that really are essential. So I, I feel like those are probably like, you know, to me, those are like the two things that if we could find a way to address, I'm not even saying fix, right? Because I think it's going to take some time for us to be able to fix these things. But when I see this as a challenge, right? Like, is it talent attraction? No, I think that a lot of you know organizations today have some very good uh, marketing tools. They have some very good value propositions. They're doing the work, but they're using the same tactics that were effective five years ago in an environment that has changed dramatically. Uh, and that's where I would say, like, okay, you know what? Like, is it is, is it TA's job? to start in the high school level and at the junior high level, I'm afraid to say that it's gonna have to be. It's not like, you know, part and parcel of our job description, right? It wasn't something that was told to you like, okay, not only are you going to be going to where uh, students are enrolled in a program that where they're gonna graduate in two years or maybe talk to their alumni, but you're gonna have to go back to, you know, like the sixth grade. Uh, and you know you're gonna have to tell them what a you know a behavioral uh, therapist is and and what it looks like and 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 give them you know a taste of it. Um, but yeah. I feel like there's really no other alternative because nobody else is banging this drum for us, and I think that that's a problem. It, it is a real problem. And Iqbal, I love what you said because it starts with education. Um, you know, in 2017 and going way back, and then you know life happened. Um, part of my 
strategy was to go into the high schools and find there's AP classes um, that individuals obviously have an interest, right? They have an interest. Tap into that. Let them know. Because so many individuals, too, who are in families who don't maybe know about the choices and education can't help. Um, and so somebody's got to be their mentor to say, hey, look, they, these are some of the options. Um, and so you're you're right with that. And then again, you know, talking about having um, partnerships with universities, also becoming a registered behavior technician, there's a, there's a course to become one, um, just like a CNA. Um, but you won't find that in your local, you know, college, um, but it should be. Um, so yeah, I mean, what you what you say, um, if I can draw out of this and just make sure that I'm hearing it right, is that investment in education, a mind switch from recruitment as like a sales marketing thing to, you know, what I call recruiters now is is career counselors or career advisors. And the reason I do that is because I want to remind them that this this is somebody on the other end that's a real person. These are people on the other end that need to hear your voice and what what is available. Would you say that that would be in line with what you're, oh, you're hoping for? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the reasons why I said yes, and, and it's not just because it's you, Holly Beth, but, you know, the fact that there's a healthcare professional that has created a platform and has recruitment experience and is able to merge the two into such a venue, I think is like a stark eye-opener for people to think like, well, how are we going to help educate people, right? Like we're here together because we want to help people that are in this profession that are dedicated to healthcare recruitment to be like, hey, here's what we can do, right? Now take what we're doing and do it in your space, right? Like if you're hiring environmental service uh, and or food service workers for a hospital and healthcare organization, be the representative of that slice of healthcare recruitment and go out there and talk to people. Because I think that unless they are, nobody even knows that these jobs exist, right? Like you just go from, and this is probably, probably like a trend that's been happening for like 20 years. Like people just want to go from janitor to CEO overnight, uh, right? And they just don't know that anything else exists. And that's where like, we have to be able to talk to them and says, hey, here's where your short-term needs are going to be met if you say yes to this program or if you say yes to this job intermediate, this is how we'll help you grow. This is how we'll invest in you. This is where you will learn new skills and how you can move into another, you know, area of the organization or within the profession, right? I think it's it's remarkable how many people just take that as an assumption uh, that, you know, and, and within the recruitment space, I mean, you know, I'm being very specific, like we just assume yeah. that you will know, you can just figure it out on your own. And they don't, people don't. No. No, people need help. And, you know, I don't know, one of my pet peeves, um, and maybe, you know, you share it as well is, but when I go into companies and I'm talking to individuals and just kind of looking at how they're spending their time and my heart almost drops into my stomach when I hear, yeah, you know, I wasted some time on this person. They weren't, you know, a viable candidate or I wasted my time with this person. It's never a waste of time. You should always be giving value. This is another person on the other end. And you have no idea what that ripple effect is going to be. Maybe it's not that person. Maybe that person goes out to dinner later and over drinks. They're like, yeah, I had this interview with this. I learned this. And the person they're having drinks with, it changes their life and that and their course. And, and we just need to take a zoom out um, and realize that what we're doing has a larger purpose than the higher or the metric in front of us. That's not how it works anymore. Yeah. Right. 
Exactly. Yeah. I, I love how you brought that in, right? Because I think that most of the time, those that are in a newer role um, are so, you know, that have just walked into healthcare recruitment, right? Because I think the numbers are pretty staggering there too, uh, where we've seen so much attrition because of the pandemic. And now you have new professionals that are entering this industry that are sort of like, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm ready to do this. And, and they're told like, hey, this is what you're going to be held accountable to. So that's all they focus on rather than somebody that maybe, you know, some old guy like me has been doing this for like 15 years, realizes like, hey, the person that I helped hire 12 or 20 years ago uh, is still consistently bringing me leads and is still like, you know, promoting the, the value that I gave to that person and sharing some of those lessons so that it just continuously grows. Um, so it's yeah. a great call out in that space. I had um, actually a candidate apologize to me and I, um, I had called and they said, oh, I didn't expect you to call. And I said, you reached out. <laughs> and so why wouldn't I? And their response was, well, I'm in Dubai and I know that you're, you're only looking in the United, you know, the United States. And I said, yeah, I don't know. You're still a human. You still want to get into ABA. Like, let's have a conversation. And we ended up talking and it was a lovely conversation. Um, I have now have a place to visit um, if I ever go to Dubai, but it's just a human to human connection. And you just, you know, there is, there should be no end game. Um, the, the behavior you want to continue to do is to connect and help people. And that, that, you know, that's what the purpose is. Um, so yeah, we, we really aligned. I knew we would. Um, I just had such a connection when we first talked and Iqbal opened up your, your conversation. I remember one question that stuck out of my mind is you're like, so what about Halliwell? You know, should I know that's not on your resume? And I was like, oh, we're talking. Okay, let's talk. And you're like, and it doesn't need to be, you know, related to, you know, what we're talking about in terms of a position either. And I thought I like this guy. Um, that and I don't know if you still have it up there, but on your LinkedIn, you know, you guys, you can put videos on there and be a little bit more oh, entertaining. Yeah. Right. And you do the eyebrow raise. And yeah. I, like, I can't tell you, I, you know, I don't know. I can't tell you how many times, but I'm just like, I just have to rewatch that again um, because it's so funny. Um, it's so engaging. I appreciate that. That's great feedback for me. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, switching gears and thinking about the investment and talking about, you know, entering into the, the space, you know, and our ABA specifically, um, I can tell you an that there is a lot of uh, a lot of people coming in that really, I think, genuinely want to help and make a difference, right? But they're new to it; they don't understand, um, and maybe they're coming from something completely different, like uh, I don't know, being a uh, hedge fund investor or you know whatever it is. But they have they have the funds, they have the heart, possibly. You know, usually I won't say that. You know, I mean, there's bad apples in every bunch, um, but the ones who really want to do a good job, but don't know where or how to invest in TA, you know, what would be your recommendation? Ooh, good one. So there are a bunch of people that are in the healthcare recruitment space that I enjoy following. Uh, and they're always talking about, you know, a variety of topics that's sort of like, oh, I never thought about it this way. Or, oh, I didn't know that this is one way to shorten the learning curve, right? Um, and, and you can just literally go to LinkedIn and just, you know, do hashtag recruitment or hashtag recruiter. Uh, you know, Joel Lalji is one you know, individual who is very, very consistent. Uh, Adam Karpiak is another person. You know, I see Matt Reimer within the healthcare recruitment space. Uh, and I see uh, a few others that I think are very important to just kind of like follow. Uh, you know, certainly follow me and I'm more than happy to share whatever 
thoughts and uh, ran, ramblings I might have, but I think it's you know a great way for you to be able to get that. And the other thing that I would say that is important, uh, so you know th those are just like little random things that you can just add to your day that's light, but it's also important in education and entertaining. Um, in a more structured capacity, networking and building relationships with other like-minded professionals is critical. Um, I am a member of the National Association of Healthcare Recruiters. I think it's a phenomenal organization. It's taught me a lot, uh, but more importantly, it's allowed me to build bridges with other recruiters that are dedicated to healthcare recruitment. And I think that's where you know I have found like, first and foremost, I didn't even know this organization existed for many years, uh, and I'd been in healthcare recruitment probably. Gosh, I'm going to date myself here. Probably at least like nine or 10 years. Uh, and like, you know, coming from an organization that did not, uh, you know, support hospitals and health systems, I did recruitment for pharmacies and clinics and, you know, optical vision centers. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't an automatic thing. But when I found out about it, I was like, you know, let's go see what this is about. Great stuff. Great, great stuff. Right. But more importantly, it's that human to human connection uh, and where they can say, listen, you're 10 years younger than me in the profession. Let me share with you a tip that was taught to me 10 years ago. Um, or, hey, you know what? You're looking for your next big thing. You want to move from an individual contributor to managing a team uh, within the TA space. I know a person that is looking for somebody that they want to develop in this space. And I think that you would be a good fit or at least have a conversation, right? Like there's a ton of ways that you can grow both your skill sets uh, as well as your strategic network by going through this process. So, you know, I'm, there's there's other healthcare organizations, healthcare recruitment organizations as well. You know, most people are familiar with the Society of Human Resources Management, but it's not as targeted and it's not as, you know, focused. So personally, I think NACR is a great place to start. I think it's a great place to build those bridges and relationships today. Um, and then beyond that, once you've gotten those two things that down, I think that the other way to distinguish yourself as a subject matter expert or a competent leader in the space is to get a certification in this in these things right um you know i have my recruiter academy certified recruiter certification or racker for short uh there are I have others that too. awesome go racker family shout out Woo. yes <laughs> uh but you know i have that uh you know there's other ones out there as well but you know studying and going through a uh, you know a competency-based exam will help you, again, distinguish yourself, but it will also help you learn and be more adept and adaptive to what's happening today by taking these foundational principles and applying them to a very dynamic and volatile you know, environment that we're working in. So getting those three things is probably what I would say, like, hey, if you're in this space, you know, and that's probably the order I would start. Like if you're brand new and you're like, hey, uh, I was doing manufacturing, I was in construction, and now all of a sudden I'm in healthcare recruitment. Uh, what do I need to do? Go follow a few people, follow myself, follow Holly Beth, follow, you know, a couple of the individuals I mentioned that are specifically and exclusively healthcare recruitment uh, and just follow us. Like you'll, you'll yeah. be exposed to different ideas, lots of things that are changing on a day-to-day week-to-week basis that will expand your mind and be like, oh, I didn't even know this was a thing. Um, and then if you're past that, like if you're already like following people and you're like, wow, I'm seeing all these topics that are consistently being you know, brought up. Uh, how do I find people and, and how do I connect? Join an organization. Again, NACR is one I would recommend, N-A-H-C-R, uh, but there's others and you can just learn and, and connect, go to a meeting, uh, you know, virtual or in-person, doesn't matter. Get to know people and volunteer. 
um, most of the time people are like really, I learned this lesson a long time ago, and that is volunteer or just say yes if an opportunity is presented. You don't have to know what you're gonna do. You don't even know. I, I don't even know what is happening, you know, f- what's gonna happen to me for the rest of the year, right? This is like March 1st, 2023. We have another 10 months to go. At the end of this year, it's probably gonna look very different like every year does. It's always different. Um, but just say yes, because you'll you'll be surprised at what you'll gain and and how it can help you in your in your career too. Yeah, absolutely. Mentorship is so important. And um, you know, while you're on this kick of just say yes, I feel like I might be a good mentee. I'm just saying. But- <laughs> <laughs> My door is always open for you, Holly Beth. Fantastic. It's interesting. Um, part of what I'm working on and, and, you know, maybe we can discuss how you're going to say yes. And to this, um, is working on doing a particular certification to be an ABA recruiter. So apply behavior analysis recruiter, because there are small nuances sometimes in certain sectors. And while there's a lot that can be, uh, very broad in, in how you're teaching, I think that there's something unique in order to, um, even, you know, make it a little bit more of a neat uh, training. So what I loved about Racker, right, is it is focused on healthcare. And that is, um, that is a, you know, a training that I feel like there's such great value in. And it is a dream of mine that we can make something like this for ABA in order to also take into the account just the vulnerable population, specifically that that we're working with and, and what we're looking at. So um, I look forward to many more conversations with you. Um, I could probably talk to you forever, but. <laughs> I, I was going to say that. So I agree with you hundred percent, right? Like, I, as I said, like there's other organizations that are very large and gen- I, I don't want to say generic, but they're like all encompassing, right? Like you have SHRM, which is great for talent acquisition professionals, but it's greater for, you know, human resource generalists, as well as compensation, as well as, you know, DEI. And there's so many other various aspects of that. But when it comes to like, you know, being exclusive to talking to a particular discipline, uh, vernacular is important, right? Like you can tell mm-hmm. me, oh, how great this hospital or how great this, you know, uh, pharmacy or how great this is, right? But when you're talking to a pharmacist or you're talking to an optometrist, learning their language and being able to use that in a professional, articulate and an intelligent way is the deal breaker. It is the deal breaker. It is. It is. It is. And it's not recognized that much. And, you know, it's interesting. So if we go back to that career advisor, right? How can you advise somebody if you don't even know what they're going to be doing? Right. Yeah. 100%. And, and I'm going to do a quick shout out here to a colleague uh, and as well as a, a great friend of mine. So Rick Fallis is actually uh, was an instructor with the Recruiter Academy, which was part of the Lean Human Capital team under Simpler. Uh, and the thing that I remember distinctly is, you know, I mean, his all of his lectures and all of his presentations were great, uh, but the F pattern has just stuck with me so well. So when you know you're thinking about a job description, you know, whether again you're uh, in, uh, an ABA certified professional or you're a pharmacist or whatever you are. Like you're still going to read a job description the same way and you're looking for words that stick out to you that mean something. So if you just say, come work for us because we're wonderful, like, yeah, okay. So is everybody else, right? But you're told like, (laughs) hey, you know, you're not just going to be dispensing medications. You're going to be changing lives. Like, okay. Now you have my attention. What what else is involved Mm -hmm. in this role as a pharmacist? Why now you have me. Right. And so yeah. reading and incorporating the right language and structuring it 
uh, is very critical. So, I, you know, again, kudos to Rick and the Recruiter Academy for laying down those policies, uh, laying down those principles uh, and, and really, you know, for us to be able to take that and, and take it to the next level. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I want to say just yesterday, um, shout out to Rick again, and, and I was lucky enough to observe some of his trainings in that. And I used and, and talked about the F training too, when we were looking at structuring our job post, where is it that the I is going to, to land? Um, and when it does, what is it that you want them to come away with? And so, yeah, a hundred percent, I think that there's, uh, there's a lot of, of good things. Um, the way that he approaches job searches too, I think maybe I just need to give Rick a call too and have him on here. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you're, you're both amazing. Um, but yeah, anything else you want to mention before we switch gears and go through the fast five WTF moments? Yeah. Um, you know, you asked me about retention and how does that impact talent mm -hmm. acquisition, right? So I never got back to that and I never talked about that. So let me do that now. I think that, you know, we always say talent acquisition has a role in retention, right? And we do. I'm absolutely, you know, owning that part of the, the fact that we own that. But when it comes to retention, right, like if your mindset is I need just to get them in the door and then, you know, it's up to you. Uh, that that's probably where we need to be able to restructure the responsibilities of a talent acquisition professional to help them not only recognize that great, you've got them in the door, now go hold their hand for the next 30, 60, 90, 180, 365 days. Like, you know, put that in the process. And TA leaders, if you are listening, you need to put that as a priority for 2023. You need to be able to stop saying, okay, yeah, yeah, we own retention, right? We have a, a part in it. Put it, you know, make it a performance metric. Put it in there and says, listen, guess what? You know what? Every, you know, six months, if you're still doing, uh, you know, performance evals uh, and having those conversations with your recruiters, you need to be able to, you know, measure that as a metric and says, how many hires did you make this last year? How many have you met virtually or in person? How many of you had breakfast or coffee with, or you know, it just followed up a year after uh, their 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 tenure with us, right? You really want to you know talk about retention? Great. As a leader, I'm holding you accountable to hold your team accountable by putting that as a metric, right? So we you can't come back to me in 2024 and be like, well, yeah, we 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 own retention. Okay, where where is it in your you know performance reviews that you did this for your team? Mike dropped. That podcast closed. Absolutely. I was, you know what? It, uh. So talking about metrics and outcomes, I was talking to um, a, a leader at an organization um, that was helping and, and I had mentioned, so I understand, I get what your outcomes are that you're looking for. It's a net goal of blah, blah. But what are the behaviors of your recruiters that you're reinforcing that will get you there long-term? And then how are you measuring it and teaching them, you know, um, obviously the accountability piece, but we all have blind spots. And so data is very important to be able to say, where do I have biases or what could I have learned from this? Um, and so specifically for my listeners uh, in the ABA space, I have metrics that tie that can identify quali qualified hires or quality hires. And then you want to have incentives around that Great. Another thing, though, that you said, Iqbal, that I hadn't thought of that, and so correct me if I'm wrong of where you were going with this, but you have to have space for your team and somewhat of a budget 
to allow, because as a, as a recruiter, you can't afford to, to always take everybody out for coffee or send them a nice, you for know, sure. little gift and a welcome and all of that. But being able to nurture that relationship and also giving some sort of metric or some sort of, you know, that a, that a boy, girl, them, whatever it is to say, you know, great job making a connection and building a relationship, um, job well done. Exactly. I mean, you know, we're looking at about 57% of nurses leaving at the end of the year. These are currently employed nurses working at small, mid and large size hospitals that are like, you know what, I am, I am done. This is the last year. And these are not experienced or like tenured nurses. We're talking nurses that range from two years into the profession to 25, 30 plus years. Uh, so we're not talking just retirees that are, you know, my age and older that are like, oh, I've done my work. Like these are people that have entered the profession with the right noble reasons and are like, this is not for me. You need to leverage your recruiters, the ones that talk to them for weeks on end and build that relationship and bring them back into this process and says, hey, it's been a while. Just want to follow up. How are things going? Right. And give them that space uh, and the freedom to be able to reignite uh, that passion that was there in the first place, uh, you know, and, and yeah. that's one of the things that I feel like has been a, a pivotal um, uh, process for me is to go back to people that I talked to, but I didn't even hire. Like they just still reach out and they're like, I remember when you helped me at a point when I was like looking for jobs and it wasn't working out at the company that you were working for, but you gave me advice and it helped. So thank you. And I'm like, that's great. And then they just keep referring other people to me. But if you already have them inside your four walls or you know within your organization and you are now at risk of losing them this is where recruitment can truly step in as long as they're given enough you know support and and leeway to do so yeah absolutely which is why high volume talking to 50 people a week is just it doesn't work anymore right. um it doesn't work it's a waste it's a waste of money you're you're investing in the wrong behavior um, and you're burning your recruiters out who can make an honest decision when you have decision fatigue of talking to, you know, 40 people in a week, how do you make a good decision? I don't know. You can't, you absolutely cannot. And yeah. you know, again, this is probably, I don't know how your audience will respond to what I'm about to say. Right. But I think it's important that, you know, for many years when we've seen chatbots and machine learning, you know, entering the conversation, people are like, Oh my God, you're going to take my job. Like, listen, you can't do the job you have now because you're just drowning. You're drowning. And you know, it's sort of like walking into, uh, an, into an environment where your senses are overloaded with sight sound, uh, and you just can't do it, right? So if you're thinking that your job is just to flip switches and you know move people from like one status in an ATS to the next, right? It's not. It's not. You need a filter or multiple filters. And and personally, I have found chatbots to be very beneficial. Like you just get I just somebody... discovered it. Yeah, it's like amazing. Like I'm not gonna answer an email or a phone call at 2 a.m. But I bet you there's a bunch of people that can't sleep because they really hate their current job and they're <laughs> scouring your career website. And all of a sudden, you know, Olivia shows up and it's like, hi, thanks for visiting. And what are you looking for? Right. <laughs> Eight o'clock in the morning, I will find three qualified candidates that really do want to talk to me scheduled on my calendar because that's what's been made available. And now I can have an open heart to heart and really determine where this person shines and how we can find a good spot for them. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's great. So 
I'm going to switch to the fast five WTF moments. Um, And WTF, just so you know, stands for what's the function. Um, So I just want to point that out. Um, But fast five WTF moments. So number one, what has you classically conditioned to respond to? Um, So I want to clarify that, right? Is it something that I've retrained myself or no? Still continuing on since I was a kid. I'm going to say classically like you. Well, I'll go with either one. Um, you tell me. Got it. Um, I would say that uh, anytime I hear the ice cream trucks music, you know, like in the summertime, I immediately put my hands in my pocket looking for change. I don't know why. It's what I did when I was a kid and I just do it. So we have we live in a cul-de-sac and the ice cream truck driver every summer has learned that this is the spot. And so every few minutes, you know, I'll, I'll jingle my pockets just to see if I've got change. And then my wife will be like, ah, you're not having ice cream. So that's that's the classic um, I have retrained myself so that when people uh, are, when people applaud, I I don't try and like over talk to them. I just like let them have their moment of acknowledging that whatever I just shared was value to them. And then when the last applause is done, then I you know, move forward with the next one. So that's, that's my yeah. retraining. I like it. And I have to comment. Um to your wife, if they, if anybody or anybody who can get a hold of your phone, how fun would it be to make that the <sighs> ringtone? <laughs> it's the ice cream truck. She'll listen to this episode, so she. I wouldn't be surprised if she messes with me in that way. Desensitize him. Um, <laughs> so what advice did you learn from a mentor that you still use today? At the end of the day, uh, everyone has the same heartbeat. You just mm-hmm. have to, you will never know what somebody else is going through, but you should still treat them as if they are just a, a person. Um, and I think that that's probably one of the things that I, I don't have to remind myself anymore. Like when I was younger and very like career driven, like it doesn't matter right now because this is like the you know, the most important thing. Uh, and I realized that that was a, a false mindset. So now it's like, okay, stop everything. Like, what is really going on? Are you okay? And, and do you want to talk? Or what is it that I can do? doesn't matter if there's anything in it for me. doesn't matter if there's anything in it for somebody else. I will ask, like, you know, just like I asked you, like, what's not on your LinkedIn that I should know about? What is it that makes you happy, right? And how can I help you increase that? Or what is it that makes you sad? Uh, and how can I help alleviate it? Yeah, right on. I like that. If you did not have the position that you currently are in, what would you be doing? <sighs> That's a really good question. So... It's hard to answer because I feel like I'm already at the last stage of my career. I don't have this desire to continue to be the next director or vice president or something. Like I've already had those opportunities in the past. So I, what I feel I think that is next is being able to serve continuously in a consulting capacity, but more targeted for career advancement and helping organizations really live out their mission. I see a lot of organizations today that are, you know, trying to attract new members, but they're not understanding what their memberships need. I see a lot of professionals today that are trying to figure out and navigate the the waters of career advancement, uh, which is one of the reasons why I started the Healthcare and Hire podcast is to bring insights from experts into that space. Uh, so probably more of a coaching role um, and more of a consulting role for for people that want to consistently improve in either a leadership or a communication space. Yeah, I could see you in that space because you're you have so many ideas not having not being in a space that has limits or boundaries um, in that way could be a, a very good environment for you. 
So what color is adversive to you? I am naturally attracted to bright colors. Uh, so I would have to say gray. Anytime I see anything that is gray, uh, it is just a turnoff. It's like, uh, I don't care if it's like, you know, cookies or, or cake or whatever. If it comes in a box that's gray, I'm probably just not even going to give it a third, a second look. And I love cookies, by the way. So I'm a <laughs> huge cookie monster. <laughs> Number five, what is, I'm very curious about this one with you. So what is your go-to music or movie when you want to get amped up? Anything that's EDM. Uh, I love techno. Uh, I mean, I love almost all music. Uh, but I will tell you that any techno uh, music, I mean, what was the last one that I was listening to? I think it's called I'm Losing It. I need that. It's it's awesome. I mean, it is just like, oh, yeah, it's uh, by a DJ by the name of Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R, and it's called Losing It. And it is just like absolutely like, okay, this is it. You know, whether I'm going to the gym, whether I'm like about to go give a presentation, I'm like, boom. Let's do this. <laughs> it's just crazy. All right. I'll send you the We're going to link that yeah, in. It definitely, definitely is. It's, it's, it's an awesome song. That's like right now on repeat. Because I just, I just feel like, you you know, to amp somebody up who's naturally amped, like it, I knew it was going to be something uh, <laughs> that, that I needed to experience. So I love awesome. it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining the WTF ABA pod. And I hope to have you on again and have you join our conference in Florida. That's awesome. And I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show and to talk to you one-on-one -on -one and to your audience. I'm super excited to meet you again in person and then also to see you in Florida. So have a great one and thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for tuning in to WTF ABA. Make sure to follow, subscribe, share, and join us every other Thursday as we continue to discuss and navigate the field of ABA and talent acquisition together. Until then, keep asking WTF ABA and don't forget to reinforce the behaviors you want to see and model them too. That's it for now. I'm Holly Beth and I'll see you next time. Thanks for joining me.